Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Cause Jesus paid it and stain he washed it white as snow Lord now indeed I find thy power in thine alone can change the leper spot the heart of stone Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left the crimson stain he washed it white as Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, cause Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain.
into my heart, into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. This is my prayer as we study and worship that Jesus would come into our hearts. My name is Hal Brady. Thank you for joining us tonight. And I trust that the word and the music will be a blessing. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's word? It comes from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by God's grace, I will do. Whoever said that was right on. The great 19th century evangelist Dwight L. Moody was known for his common sense and his application of Christian principles to everyday living. One day he ran into a minister and he said, what do you think about the political outlook? This was before an election. The minister replied, I don't know anything about the political situation. My citizenship is in heaven. Dwight L. Moody said, better get it down to earth for the next 30 days. Even good people from time to time are liable to say something like this. The situation has been like that for years. It's not going to change. I'm not even going to register to vote. Oh, my vote won't count for anything, so I'm not even going to concern myself about it. But suppose 1,000 or 3,000 people said the same thing, and they do in every election, and the issue, the cause, or the nation is lost. I'm going to do something today that I never do. I'm going to preach a sermon on politics, particularly on voting. Now, let's be clear. I'm not concerned with who you vote for. I am concerned that you vote. It is our Christian and American responsibilities that we vote. Let me continue. I'm not concerned with how you vote, but I am concerned with why you vote. You see, if our Christian faith is a guideline for everyday living, it would seem that our Christian faith would have something to say to us when we enter the voting booth. So what does the Christian faith say to us when we enter the voting booth? What does the Christian faith demand of us when we enter the voting booth? What I want to do is share with you four thoughts that all of us should consider before we vote in the election. Number one, these are serious times for our country. These are serious times for our country. One of my favorite movies is The American President. I guess I've seen that movie 15 to 20 times. It's the story of a widowed president who has a romance 
with a woman who is a person who works for an energy bill. In other words, she's a lobbyist. The story centers around them, but at the same time, it tells us that during this time, the opposing political candidate of this president began to jump on the president because of his romance. So to his credit, the president never did say anything in response to these critiques and attacks, even though his staff wanted him to do so. But finally, he did respond. At a press conference, he made a marvelous statement, but in specificity, he talked to this candidate, and he said, the times are finished now. They demand serious answers. Time is up for you. You have had your 15 minutes. My name is Andrew Shepard, and I am the president. Here we are approaching the election a couple of months away, and there are numerous undecided voters. Numerous undecided voters. We have seen, heard, and listened to the candidates as they talked about their, their platforms. They have pleaded with us. They have sometimes accused each other, sometimes shared half-truths about themselves and about others, and yet still numbers of people are undecided as to who to vote for. Perhaps it's because a great majority of candidates from all parties in all races have fallen into something of a rut. I approve this message, and the candidates have blasted each other rather than stated what their own principles or what their beliefs really are. Oh, that's just politics. Well, I don't really believe so. I think politics has more integrity than that, or at least it ought to have. It ought to have. So what is the political illness that affects the United States today? It's what the late Senator Benton of Missouri said. He said, we are engaged in the simples. We take the most complicated issues and make them into simplicities. All of existence has to do with things being right or wrong, good or bad, that kind of thing. But he says the issues are so much bigger. There's gray. You know, people are saying that if so-and-so were president, it would be fine. It's just as simple as that. If so-and-so believed in the Bible, it would be as simple as that. We have a preacher, his name is Adam Hamilton, he is at the Church of the Resurrection in Kansas, this preacher tells us that we need to focus on the election, and he wrote a book called Seeing Gray in a World of Black and White. He says that Gray tells us that maybe we don't know all the truth, that Gray tells us that we need to be open to what others have to say. Gray is a sort of humility. It tells us that God is so much greater than we can imagine that he is. So gray is so important for us to consider as we move into this upcoming election. Some time ago, I read a book called Patriotic Grace by Peggy Noonan. Peggy Noonan was talking about this grace, and she talked about the fact that she was a political conservative. But she said in the future, she would have to work with liberals and she said liberals in the future would have to work with conservatives. And she said it's because we help each other down the stairs. And immediately she was referring to an incident that occurred at the United States Capitol when they felt like the United States was under imminent attack. And so people were running out of the Capitol. Two guards helped this woman in a wheelchair down the stairs all the way down from the Capitol steps to the bottom. So what she's saying is, we need to help each other down the stairs. You know, we in America will get out of this 
Miles, we are in the Republicans and Democrats working together. We'll work together as Americans. And she said, one time we knew that. That was right after 9-11. But sometimes we seem to forget. But what she's saying is we need to rise above partisan politics. We need to be open to whatever's good for America, really good for America. And so time is up, Bob. Serious times demand serious answers. Your 15 minutes is up. And then secondly, Christianity is a conviction we live, not so much opinions we hold. Christianity is a conviction we live, not so much opinions we hold. I want you to think about this Pharisee that went into the temple to pray. He was really giving God an earful. He was telling God about all of his good works. He was expressing his opinion of what a good fellow he was. He had a marvelous opinion. He didn't go into that chapel looking for truth. He went simply to express his opinion about himself and how good he was. You see, he fasted not once but twice a week. You see, he was heavily involved in doing things he thought were righteous. So he didn't go into that temple to profess his faith, not by a long shot. He went in there to express his opinions about what constituted goodness and righteousness. No wonder he got in touch with Jesus. No wonder he got in touch with Jesus because, you see, Christianity is not so much about opinions. Christianity is about a conviction, a conviction. Now, I'd like to share with you something of what this conviction is from two places. First of all, from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Listen, will you? So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what Paul says, and now what Jesus says. When someone asked him about the great commandment, what did he say? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great command, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So I want you to hear this. This is the conviction in Christ. We are forgiven, reconciled, and transformed into his community. Consequently, we believe we are part of the worldwide Christian church, that by admiration and proclamation and ministry and ministry and mission, we are conformed to Christ. So when we go to vote, we're going to vote out of our conviction, not simply out of our opinions. Not simply out of our opinions. Let me tell you something. Candidates for president and vice president will come and go. The most important thing is the party platform. The thing that's going to impact most Americans is the party platforms of the Republican and Democratic parties. These are the platforms that have kept them together through all the years and continue to hold them together. It's their platforms. So as one Christian minister, I would like to share with you some planks that ought to go into the platform of America. These are not original with me, but they are vastly important planks that ought to become a part of something we call America's platform. First of all, a commitment to the household family. Do you know when some politicians get through talking about the family, they make it narrow and restricted. 
and it excludes more people than it includes. The household family is so much larger than any of us can possibly imagine. The household family includes a husband and a wife and two children. It also includes street people who don't have a home to go to. The American family, the household family, includes young people who are working their way up the corporate ladder. It also includes retired people, people who live on fixed incomes. The household family includes people who are wealthy and can share. It includes people who are poor and need somebody to share with them. The household family includes protesters, policemen, soldiers, people who are out of jobs, people who have no insurance, people who are different from us. And so when we go into the poll to vote, we're going to vote our consciences, and we should. But we must not forget the household family, this large household family. And then secondly, the second platform is a commitment to the human family. Now this family is so much larger. We're talking about a family of every nation and on every continent. You know, at one time, we used to be able to isolate ourselves as a nation, but we can't do that anymore. Why? Because of technological advances. These technological advances tell us that either we're going to rise together or we're going to surely perish together. Let me tell you something, beloved. God has been very good to America, has richly blessed us, and who can deny it? I was reading an essay the other day by Zig Ziglar, he wrote an essay on America the Beautiful, and he had eight paragraphs of why he loved America. It was very inspiring. Who can tell us that God has not been wonderfully rich toward us? You see, we are wealthy. We are powerful. We have influenced the world, perhaps, as no other nation. We have been a part of the world scene. But something is happening to us today. There's a danger that's on the horizon. And I would like to share with you what I think that is. Stagnant economies, lack of jobs, the population exploding, a shortage of, of oil, depleting water supplies, food used as weapons, environmental issues, unconscionable wars, out-of-control drug abuse, and nuclear weapons. Enough nuclear weapons to annihilate every form of human and animal form in the world. The problem today is, beloved, we don't just have one or two nations that can do that. We have a number of nations that have the ability to destroy this planet. There was a grandfather that sat with his son on his knee, and he said to his grandson, what do you want to be when you grow up? The little boy said, alive, please. Alive, please. Do you know what we in America need to be doing right now in the world? We need to teach the world. We need to teach the world about how to make peace authentic world peace. We will either rise together or we will surely perish together. So when we go into that voting booth, we need to remember the human family, the human family. And then there's something else. Another plank in the platform is a commitment to the holy family. Yes, we should be conscious of God's family. The early colonists who came to this country came because they were fleeing religious persecution and they came for a political and religious freedom. These people were not saints by a long shot, but they did believe in God and they did fear God. And because of their fear and belief in God, they were able to handle all the situations that they confronted. And that same God says the same thing to us. The psalmist was right when he said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. A French historian asked James Russell Lowell, how long will the American Republic last? 
He said it'll last as long as the ideas of the men and women who founded it remain constant. Remain constant. So let's remember when we go to the polls, let's remember the planks of America, a commitment to the household family, a commitment to the human family, and a commitment to the holy family. And then thirdly, something else here. Christianity is about our faithfulness and not about judging the faithfulness of others. Let's think a little bit about this publican that went into that temple. He was quite different from the Pharisee. When he got in there and he sensed the presence of God, suddenly his sin came to, to his mind. And he began to cry, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He beat his chest. And we are told that he was forgiven and reconciled and made happy and he left, determined to be faithful. Now, no matter what this parable says, the thing it says to us more than anything else is God holds us to be faithful people of integrity and not judge the faithfulness of other people around us. So what does it mean to be a person of integrity when you go into the voting booth? Let me just share these with you. These are what it means, I think. It means being informed about the candidates and the issues. It means being inclusive of all others in our desire for the common good. It means rejecting partisanship. It means being respectful of those who have different conviction from ours. It means sticking up for the marginalized who have no political voice. It means praying for our nation and its leaders and asking for discernment in electing the one that ought to lead us. It means voting our own convictions and being willing to live with the consequences of our choices. Adam Hamilton asked a question that all of us should ask. He said, is being a devout Christian enough to make one a great president? He said, of course, he would like to have a Christian in the White House. He would like to have a Christian who believed in personal and social holiness. But he said, and he gave this illustration, he said, if one of your loved ones is suffering from a cancerous tumor, he said, what kind of doctor are you going to look for? Are you going to look for a doctor who's primarily a person of faith? Or are you going to look for a doctor who's primarily an expert in this form of cancer? And he said, I'm going to look for the expert. Of course, I'll hope the person is a Christian and I'll pray for him either way. But I'm going to be looking for the person who's an expert. And then finally, and this is important, it's impossible to live our lives and make no difference. It's impossible to live our whole lives and make no difference. Let me tell you about something that strangely happened. It happened in London, England. There was a man who died who left a fortune to an English hospital. There was one stipulation. The stipulation was that his remains would always have to be brought to the board meeting and they would sit right there in the front of the room. His remains would have to be there. So for over a hundred years, at the conclusion of the minutes, the secretary would write, Jeremy, ben Jeremy Bentham present, but not voting. You know, there's something tragic about that, being present and making no difference. Of course, he was dead, but it's even worse if we're alive and make no difference. Beloved, God calls us and America needs us, needs us to vote with conviction, to vote with integrity, to study the issues, to pray for those we are voting for, to ask discernment as we vote, to take seriously the condition of our country. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. 
Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this day and we're thankful for your presence. We're grateful we live in a free country and have the opportunity of voting for people of our choices. We ask, O oh God, that you'd help us to live out our convictions, even in the voting booth, and to vote for what we believe is in the best interest of the kingdom of God. Thank you for this time together. Bless all of those who are within my voice or within the sound of this television ministry. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us, and I trust this has been a blessing to you. Have a good evening. I'm not afraid.